Let us hear now the word of Almighty God. I'll remind you how the chapter begins. God spoke these words, saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. This is the word of our God. We come to the fourth commandment this evening. The fourth commandment, which is uh, another of those, which is written off, just as last week we, we talked about the, the taking of the name of the Lord and honoring it and hallowing his name and lifting it high, taking it as something holy, not to be used Uh, just in any old way. So also today we come to a commandment that in our day and age, even in gospel churches, by people who love Christ, this commandment is on hard times. Uh, It may partially be on hard times because we fear legalism. And this is an easy one to be legalistic about. It is. Uh, But it's always a dangerous thing when we fluctuate between two extremes. And I think that's what we've seen in the church throughout all of its its days. You have uh, ignore the Sabbath day. Keep it however you want. Or don't keep it at all. And then then the Bible believers say, well, wait a second, that's not right. It's in God's word. We should do something. And maybe we go too far. We start telling people how many steps they can take to get to church. probably taking work a little bit too far, maybe working too hard on figuring out what you're not allowed to do, perhaps. And so we fluctuate back the other direction, back and forth. But but we want to be balanced, don't we? We ought to desire a biblical balance, to take God at his word seriously in such a way that does not counter the doctrine of grace. Uh, seeing that God's commands are what he desires for those who have been saved by grace through faith and not of works. And having been saved and justified freely in Christ Jesus, he tells us this is the kind of life I want you to live as a gratitude to me. And we should say, yes, Lord, conform my heart to want to desire what you desire, to to want to... uh, Show gratitude, whatever it takes. But we also need to pray, but Lord, guard me from thinking that I can be holier by doing one more thing than someone else. It's a a dangerous thing, dangerous thing, playing around with the law of God. We have to have the gospel there. I am the Lord your God 
who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Therefore, keep my Sabbath day. Now, the the fourth commandment, sadly, the, the one perhaps in Reformed churches most readily written off as ceremonial, as uh, not for us, when in fact it is the only one of the Ten Commandments that God directly ties into creation, I, I should say explicitly, explicitly ties in to both creation and redemption. The others are all tied into how God created the world, who he is as creator, his moral standard. But this is the only one where he said, remember that this one's tied into creation. And therefore, as long as this creation lasts, this commandment stands. But sometimes we struggle with that. Seventh day, we don't keep the Sabbath day in the seventh day. But it... It strikes me as interesting that in both Exodus and Deuteronomy, Moses giving this command in, in two distinct ways, nonetheless says that the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. He actually doesn't say the seventh day. That's very interesting because in Genesis 2, it does say the seventh. But what Moses is showing us by inspiration is that this commandment is tied to a concept of God commanding one day in seven, a specific one. But as a moral law, God leaves it so that he can and will change which one in seven. And the Ten Commandments still stand. It's almost like he planned that. It's almost like he knew he was going to shift it from the seventh to the first. Boy, a whole sermon could be preached on that, but we're going to move on. I I want today to look, though, at the two reasons why we are to keep the Sabbath day holy. And these two reasons, given in the two presentations of the Ten Commandments, are creation, and then in Deuteronomy, redemption. So let's think about those two things. First, creation. And we can think of Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Coming right off of the creation account, God, uh, the Holy Spirit tells us here, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished, and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which he had created and made. The fourth commandment does not start at Mount Sinai. It starts in the first week of history. It comes no sooner has Eve been taken from Adam's rib and the two together declared very good. Then God says, I'm done with this work and he rests. It goes all the way to creation and it is based in God's very character. 
I think we need to really take that into account if we take into account that God has no sooner declared man and woman made in his image very good than he gives his image bearers his first lesson in image bearing. Work and rest. God worked six days And then God rested from the labor he had done. God did not become idle. God did not cease that day and then in some way sit around on a cloud. And twiddle his thumbs for the rest of history. He continues to hold all things by the word of his power. Read Colossians chapter 1. He is sustaining all things if he had stopped sustaining on day seven, there would not have been day eight. He sustains. He does that work. Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath, uh, sits at the Father's right hand, resting from the work which he has done, but he still intercedes. But what Genesis is showing us is God setting an example. He had been doing this work And he rested from it. The work is complete and he rests. We are to bear his image here. But of course, with us fallible and frail creatures, it's a little different. Because I I suspect most of you anyway, don't get to Friday afternoon and say, Wow, the work of my life is done. I'll find a new one next week. Maybe you change careers that much. I don't, I don't know. I don't think most of you do. I think most of you have a continuance, right? The gifts and the graces God has given you. And you, you keep having to work those thorns and those thistles every week. So we don't cease because we have finished. But we do cease in imitation of God. You see, God didn't need rest. He, he's immortal. He's almighty. He spoke and it came into being. He didn't have to do physical work in the process. And yet he graciously condescends to put this example before us. The Sabbath day is an astonishing condescension from our God. He who needs no rest doesn't just give us an excuse. He gives us a command because he knows our frame, that we are weak, we are frail, and we need rest. Whatever else we say about the Sabbath day, and there's a lot we should say. We've read it in our confession uh, this afternoon, even, that uh, it has a lot to say about worship and how we spend every moment of the day. But with all of that, We cannot lose sight that God is saying, rest, you need it. And so he did it so that you never should feel guilt for acknowledging your weakness and your need for rest, especially on the Sabbath day. 
God gives us this one in seven. And, and sometimes I hear it said today, you know, it's just any one seventh of your time. That's what you need. One seventh of your time. But that's not what God is commanding here. He's commanding a specific one seventh. And it's interesting to note that in human history, it has been shown in multiple instances of rebellion against God. We really do need one full seventh of the time. One full day. 24 hours of this rest. Uh, Twice at least, they've tried to change this in human history. Uh, Voltaire is attributed as saying at the French Revolution, although no one seems to be able to find the quote. But he's attributed as having said, if you want to destroy Christianity, destroy the Sabbath day. Showing that if Voltaire really said that, he understood the importance of the fourth commandment better than some Christians. He was quite the pagan, but he understood that something unique is happening between God and his people on the Lord's day. Well, whether he actually said that or not, Napoleonic France tried to get rid of the one in seven. It tried to get rid of this by making it a 10-day work week. 10-day work week. You work nine days, and then you get the 10th one off. And, um, well, you work... Ten day, uh, nine days, then you get the tenth off. But don't worry about exhaustion because on the fifth day, you get a half day. So you work fifth day, you get a half day, and then you get to the tenth day, you get the whole day. And the French were able to say, uh, you know, you actually get more time off this way. Because if you do the math, adding up all those half days plus the full days, you end up with 54 days worth of rest. As opposed to the 52 that everyone else, we're rare taking two days off a week, most of us. Uh, Most people in history have only had the 52 days a year. And the French were saying, we're giving you 54. Aren't we great? It only took a few years before the entire nation was burnt out at their labor. Because God designed us to need One in seven. And then he gives us the seven to feel the blessing that he gives us in our need. The USSR also tried this kind of thing. Soviet Union uh, did a five-day work week uh, with the fifth day off for the worker. But um, it it was randomized. You wouldn't get the same day off every week. You would randomly get one of the five days off in the work week. And it wouldn't be the same one of the five days as your loved ones, your friends, or your church. See, they were also trying to get rid of the church. And they did this one in five, and and it didn't work either. While back, I, I heard at Bethlehem Baptist Church, where John Piper used to be pastor... John Piper, like like many pastors, worked too much. And his elders noticed. And they realized, well, we can't do anything about him working all day on Sunday. But maybe there's something about God creating us to need one in seven. And Piper was saying, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm taking some time off. 
Well, when were you taking it off? Well, I took off that afternoon over there. Well, maybe I went in late this, this morning over here. And his elders broke the week up into eight-hour segments and told him, every week you must take three consecutive eight-hour segments. See, they, they saw that even, even John Piper needs one in seven because even he is frail. And God designed us with this need. It shows us our weakness. And then he says, but I give you a day, a day to rest. And you don't have to feel guilty about it because you're imitating me. What a day. What a thing this is. Genesis 2 doesn't just tell us that God gave us the day for resting. God did something else for us to imitate. He rested and he hallowed the day. You could also translate that he sanctified the day. I suspect you all know that sanctified, you you could replace that with made it holy. He made the day holy. And that's why we are to make it holy, says Moses in Exodus 20. God set the day apart for a special purpose. Uh, This same kind of language is used all throughout uh, the Pentateuch. Israel is set apart to be a kingdom of priests for God. They are hallowed from the rest of the nations to be God's worshiping people. But from among them, the Levites are set apart, hallowed. To be the uh, worship uh, coordinators and preachers. To assist the Levites who from even among, I'm sorry, the the sons of Aaron from among even the Levites were hallowed. The same word over and over. You see God setting apart a priesthood to lead worship. The Levites to coordinate the events of worship and to preach to the people throughout the week. And the people of God as a whole to be a worshiping people in the midst of the world. Uh, And other things can be said like that too. The furniture in the tabernacle was hallowed. It was set apart for a worship purpose. And so when we read from Moses, the same author, that God hallowed this day, we see that it's not simply a day for physical rest, Although, as I already said, never, never write off the importance of your physical rest. But it's a day for physical and spiritual rest. Renewal in your walk with God as you worship him in spirit and in truth. This is a command that goes all the way back to imitating God in the garden. Do you realize that? Next time you feel that the Sabbath day, oh, a burden, realize that it did not originate at Sinai. It originated in the garden before the fall when all was right with the world. Well, I also want to consider the other reason that uh, Moses gives us for why we ought to keep the Sabbath holy. 
not only creation, but Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, gives us the second category, redemption. And there in in Deuteronomy 5, Moses, at the end of the 40-year period, right before he is about to die, and as the people are getting ready to gear up and go into the land of promise, he reiterates the commands that God had given at Sinai. And almost all of them are identically written. But the fourth commandment gets a little bit of a, a, a makeover. Not in the sense that we ignore what was said in Exodus. But it's almost, it's almost as if God says, this one I know you're going to have a hard time with. You, you workaholics or you're, you self-worshippers, you idle, lazy people, you entertainment-focused people, you whatever your particular struggle with the Sabbath day might be. It's almost as if God said, so I'm going to give you more reasons. Let's think more richly about this. So what does he say? By the way, in both lists of Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment is the longest one given. The most is said about it. That usually indicates that God cares that we pay attention. Here's what is said in Deuteronomy. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates, that your male and female servants may rest as well as you. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Redemption. You were a slave, but you're not anymore. To reflect upon that slavery and its, its tie to the day of worship. Remember Pharaoh. Pharaoh worked them to the bone. You're not working fast enough. Well, we don't have bricks then work faster and make bricks yourself. And what isn't explicitly said right there is figure out how to feed yourself too. Those Israelites in Egypt, they were slaves. They were real slaves. They had to grow their food presumably at night while also trying to make the straw to make bricks at night so that they could build the pyramids during the day. When do you think they rested? When did they worship God? Did Pharaoh give them one in seven? No, he did not. Remember what Moses first says when he comes to Pharaoh, the message from God. Let my son, Israel, go that he may worship me in the wilderness. See, God's first comment to Pharaoh isn't, let him go so that I can take him to the promised land. That is God's plan. But the first emphasis that God gives Pharaoh for letting the people go 
so that they might worship him. And Pharaoh says, eh, they can worship here. Or they can worship on my terms. And God says, no, I choose the date and time. And that's what God did. He brought them out. Now, now, as we reflect on those things from earlier in Exodus, and then here in Deuteronomy, reflect on the Sabbath day principle, we are to remember to keep the Sabbath day because we aren't slaves anymore. We are free to rest and to worship our God. And then notice it also has this other result. If you're someone who employs others or puts others to work or has servants or slaves, I trust none of you have those. Um, But what, what do you do? They get the day too, because guess what? You were set free. And even if you have those under you, you are to set them free for the day to worship the Lord. Redemption leads to Sabbath. It leads to Sabbath for you. It leads to Sabbath for those who are under you. You may notice that neither Exodus nor Deuteronomy mentions any wives. You are to rest. Your sons and daughters are to rest and your donkeys are to rest and your slaves and servants are to rest and someone visiting you needs to rest. Where's the wife? She's doing the dishes and cooking and taking care of the kids. No, that's that's not what Moses is saying. Uh, Men in this room. It's it's your duty to make sure your wife gets Sabbath. God made them and the two are one flesh. If you Sabbath, she'd better be able to. And maybe that means you need to think through the day a little bit. If the dishes must be done, maybe you do the dishes. If they don't need to be done today and can wait till tomorrow, just make sure that they're not waiting for her first thing, throwing off her whole week. I think that's an appropriate application if we are told right here to apply it to our slaves. Surely the wife of our youth, uh, the one whom God has given us to love and cherish and to be Christ to, should get a Sabbath no less than we. Well, the, the Sabbath rest is something the world will never give you. Just like Pharaoh. Earlier this year, I was reading a, um, a book by a, a, an Irish preacher who was kind of one of the more famous Irish preachers of a, a previous century. And he was talking about the Sabbath day. And, and his reason for talking about it was, at that point, of course, businesses didn't run on Sunday. But they were starting to talk about it in England. About letting certain businesses run. So that people could have entertainment on Sunday. It's all about giving people rest, right? Gotta give them rest. So we'll let certain, certain communities, maybe like the Oceanside communities, have restaurants open so people can have a, a family day on Sunday. That's rest, right? 
there was good and bad in, in his article, but one thing I found very powerful in Thomas Witherell is that he pointed out no one, no one will benefit from allowing this. What did he mean? Well, the argument at the time among Christians even was, we're not letting just anyone work on Sunday. It's only these certain types of businesses that are going to refresh people. And only in certain places. And only with certain licenses. And his point was, it's not that people are going to benefit from being open on Sunday. Because the result will be everyone, everyone will be open on Sunday. And then no one comes out ahead. Because you have to be open on Sunday then just to keep up with everyone else. So no one even financially comes out ahead. And the only people who will suffer are the people who don't open on Sunday. Was he right or wrong? Obviously he was right. Because that's exactly what's happened. I know believers who uh, were going to uh, not inherit. They were going to buy their parents out of a family business. uh, An ice cream shop. Did great business. Best ice cream shop in town. And they went to purchase that a business so their parents could retire and their, business, their parents said, we won't sell this to you unless you stay open on Sundays. And they said, well, we're not going to. We'll, we'll do Monday through Saturday, but we won't open on Sunday. Then we won't sell you our business. We'll sell it to someone we don't know. Why? Because you can't keep that business open if you're not open on Sundays. That's that's almost the case, isn't it? There's exceptions to that. But this is where the world will always bring us. To steal our rest and to steal our worship. Obviously, some of you have jobs that require working on Sunday. Works of mercy. And uh, I'm I'm always glad that we have nurses and doctors and, and people driving the ambulance And so on and so forth, right? You can't just tell someone dying, we'll be there in 12 hours. I'm Sabbathing. I'll be there at 1 a.m. Mercy. But short of that, do we have any rest in this world? Our society is a workaholic society. You have been set free from slavery to the world as well as the flesh and the devil. God tells you to rest. He commands a good thing for you. He commands you to rest because he has redeemed you. That's not just something we find in the Old Testament. You've been set free from Egypt. We find it in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4 picks up on the theme of redemption. He talks about Joshua leading the people into the promised land just months after this second giving of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy. And Joshua led them into the promised land, but at the end of his life he talked about a rest to come. Hebrews chapter 4, 
tells us. I'm sorry, I'm looking at the wrong verses here. It tells us that if Joshua had been able to give them rest, he would not have spoken of another day. But, verse 9, there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his work as God did from his. It's a powerful statement. First, it's more powerful when you translate it right. And the New King James doesn't. Neither does the ESV, I I think. I should have double-checked that. Or the New American Standard. Shockingly, the NIV is the one that gets it right. Because in this short section... There is the word rest innumerable times. Actually, you can number them. Like seven times probably. That's my guess. Probably seven times rest. But what we find in verse 9 is not the same word for rest. The author of Hebrews by inspiration doesn't just say, so there's a rest to come. He invents a word. Sabbatismos which never appears anywhere else in human literature that we can find. It was invented by the Holy Spirit for this one sentence to make a point to us, to make a point that there's a different rest than the rest which Joshua was able to give them. And what is that? It's a Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God. Why? Because Jesus, who has entered his rest, has also ceased from his works as God did on the seventh day. What is Hebrews saying? It's saying what Paul says elsewhere when Paul talks about the new creation. A new creation made on the cross. Christ did his work of redemption. And what did he say? It is finished. That work is done. Then what did he do? He rose from the grave showing he completed his work very good. And he ascended into heaven and sat down. Now he's still making intercession for us. But that language of sat down is a language of ceasing from something. He finished his work of redemption on the cross and he sat down. He has entered his rest. And your life is hidden with Christ above. One day you, like Joshua, will enter your rest. A Sabbath day that will never, ever end. Both hymns we've sung tonight have gotten to that in beautiful poetic ways. Go back and look at them. But what would be the application now from Hebrews 4? If it's just a Sabbath rest that waits for us in heaven and we're not there yet, does that mean there's no Sabbath for us here and now? 
Well, that doesn't make sense with Hebrews. Hebrews is the book that says what God gave back then was good. What he's given now is very good. What he gave in the Old Testament was a blessing. But much more now in Christ. And so how odd would it be for God back then to have said, every week you get this day. And now to say, someday you will get this day. No. Hebrews 4 verses 9 and 10 are telling us that because of the future, we continue to have a rest now. On the first day of the week, the day of resurrection, the day of new creation. And we meet on that first day of the week because Jesus rose on that day. We worship and rest on that day in anticipation because there will come a week when you don't have to go back to the thorns on day two. Where the Sabbath day will never end. The first day of eternity and eternity of rest. I'm not sure between the two giving of the commandments in the Old Testament and this chapter in Hebrews 4, I'm not sure there could be more amazing things said to us to spur our hearts to see the beauty of this day. After all, we're told to remember creation, remember redemption, and anticipate eternity. And we do all of these by keeping the Sabbath day holy.